Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Purina and their certified therapy dogs like Hanley. Say hi, Hanley! <coughs> Hanley is one of 30 therapy dogs Purina has helped get certified to support kids struggling with their mental health. Purina employees are volunteering their time and family pets like Hanley to help make pet therapy more accessible to patients, students, and kids like me. Learn more about Purina's pet therapy program at purina.com slash mental health. I'm Elsie Granderson, and this is Life Out Loud. You know, one of the hardest things for me to do while covering politics is listening to elected officials talk about what a great president Ronald Reagan was. Don't get me wrong, he accomplished a lot of good during his time in the White House. But as a gay black man, I am well aware how his administration had negatively impacted millions. Policies that increased mass incarceration, his handling of the crack epidemic and the violence that came with it, and of course, the AIDS epidemic. So yeah, my recollection of the Reagan years is a lot different than some others. And out of all of that, you know what really stings the most? The lack of compassion and empathy for those who were suffering, especially when it came to HIV AIDS. It was as if some elected officials didn't even see us as human. Multiple times, Reagan's White House press secretary not only gave flippant responses when asked about the deadly virus in the early days, but he delivered jokes to an unsympathetic media as thousands died. Does anybody in the White House know about this epidemic? There's been no personal experience here, Lester. I checked thoroughly with Dr. Ruge this morning, and he's had no, uh, <laughs> no patients suffered from AIDS or whatever it is. It was hard enough during the 1980s as a kid trying to navigate my sexuality and recognizing that not only was I different, but that that difference could make me a target. But now there were elected officials and people in power using their influence to make life even more difficult for kids like me. And for what? Political points? To get reelected? Access to power? Tax cuts? I know it's easy to think that the advances that the LGBTQ plus community has made since those terrible days has given the impression that that kind of prejudice is behind us. And in a lot of ways, it is. But then Florida does something like pass the Parental Rights and Education Bill, which allows parents to sue educators who talk about sexual orientation and gender identity in the classrooms for those in third grade and under. Dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill, this is not a piece of legislation designed to protect children from inappropriate content. It's designed to minimize our presence in society because it takes something like a simple discussion about a child's same-sex parents and potentially makes it a classroom violation. And that sends a message that's very similar to the one that I heard from elected officials growing up, which is, there is something wrong with you. And I'm angry about it. The press secretary for Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis, suggested that those of us who are trying to fight this bill are actually just groomers which is reminiscent of the recruiting scare Florida tried to keep queer people from becoming teachers back in the 1970s. Now, I'm not one who believes in purity tests, but I do believe when it comes to diversity and inclusion, you can't really play both sides. If you're helping people who push for exclusion, you cannot claim to be committed to inclusion. What you are is opportunistic. 
What you are is committed to the best possible outcome for yourself or your bottom line. You know, all those icons of the civil rights movements and women's suffrage movement and the gay right movement, the ones that we like to hold up as beacons of hope, the ones we like to quote in months like February and March and June, they gave up a lot. Sometimes their lives for the sake of progress. They understood that silence or attempts to play both sides really wasn't a fight for anything but the status quo, at best. You know, I turned 50 today, and believe it or not, I'm actually really happy about it because as a teen, I really didn't think I would get here. And a lot of people I grew up with, they didn't. On this episode of Life Out Loud, I have a conversation with the TikTok foursome, The Old Gays. With more than 6.3 million followers, Robert Reeves, Mick Peterson, Bill Lyons, and Jesse Martin are the perfect bridge between the world that once laughed at our deaths and the ones that are fighting bills like the one in Florida. We also spend time with Jesus Ramirez Valles, director of the Health Equity Institute at San Francisco State University, an expert on gaby boomers and the unique needs of the aging members of the LGBTQ community. But first, the male version of the Golden Girls, the old gays. So to start this conversation, I would like to play a game, if you will. Oh. Because in a lot of ways, the four of you are a real life version of the Golden Girls, right? And I'm sure you've heard this comparison many, many times. If not the Golden Girls, then definitely the Sex and the City Girls. But it's these iconic foursomes, right. you know, that we've come to love and embrace. And you guys are kind of pinned through pop culture and establish your own very much adored foursome. So in order to get a sense of your personalities for our listeners, I would like to ask you if you look at those two shows to pick the one character you think you best represents or best represents you. And we're going to start from wisest to youngest. <laughs> so that means, Robert, you get to start. I get to start? You're the eldest. You get to start. And once the character's been picked, you cannot go and repick. So you have to have a brand new character. So Robert, you get the entire cast of Golden Girls and Sex in the City to pick which of those characters best resemble or reflect you. Well, I think probably Sophia. Really? What's going on here? I walk into the bathroom, and instead of a toilet, there's a hole in the ground. For a minute, I thought I was back in Sicily. I like and relate to her sassiness and her accrued wisdom of the years. And I just feel there's a certain kindred spirit there. I totally understand. And you're 78, is that correct? 78, yeah. Okay, all righty. Next on our list is 77-year-old Bill Lyons, correct? Yes. All righty. So you have these two shows. You have everyone but Sophia to pick from. Okay. If, I, I guess it would be Betty White. Okay, so Rose. Mm -hmm. oh, Rose, Rose rather. I can be perceived as maybe kind of innocent and sweet and that kind of stuff. But I've got a lot of devious things going through my mind <laughs> as she did. And I have to tell you, I absolutely loved her St. Olaf stories. It's called Gnurkenfurten cake. <laughs> it's an ancient recipe, but I Americanized it. Yeah, so one might say you brought Gnurkenfurten into the 80s. <laughs> 
yes, but I'm not one to blow my own Vertuvenflugen. <laughs> and I've always just thought she was so sweet, but probably one of the funniest characters on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so loved. And Betty White, of course, will be missed. Yeah. So next on our list brings us to Jesse. 68? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. I don't know why I was regressing in age all of a sudden. <laughs> we, we try to be correct here. So, know. you know. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm, I don't relate to any of them. I didn't see me in anywhere there. Um, I saw me on uh, Dynasty as Dominique Devereaux. Come on now. You better come through with Dominique Devereaux. I love to be some Dominique Devereaux. <laughs> I am her. What are you doing here? At the moment, I'm having some lovely non-burn champagne and velvet smooth caviar. Not the kind you serve, Alexis. I love her classiness, her sophistication and everything. But the other shows, it's like, it was no offense to Caucasians, but it's all I saw were white people. I didn't see me in them. I, I definitely understand. Definitely understand that. And so, Mick, you're the baby. You're 65. Still, yes. He <laughs> <laughs> will forever be 65. <laughs> well, I have been referred to as uh, Samantha. Samantha from Sex in the City, yes. Do you have sex? Yes. Do you use condoms? Yes. What kind of condoms? Trojan, lifestyles, chic, wet and wild. No, I meant um, latex, lambskin. Oh, yes. Do you agree with that? Uh, to the most part, yes. I sometimes think of, though, of, of Carrie at times because she writes about it. She's a narrative. Mm -hmm. And I, do, I uh, do write my own blog so I can relate to how she, the stories are developed through her narrative. But I, I guess uh, the boys think I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm more of the Samantha type. Don't feel bad. I don't. To me, she embodied sex in the city. Um, yes. He's proud of it. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. I, I, I concur. Um, a lot of people think I'm the Carrie because I'm also a writer, but I related way more to Samantha and Blanche than anyone. <laughs> They're the ones having more fun, don't you think? Don't you They're think? the ones having the most fun. And I, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot younger when I'm watching these shows. But I always embrace the notion that age did not define beauty or sexiness or feistiness. Yeah. I embrace that very, very young in preparation for getting older, I guess. Yeah, the great things about all of those scripts in both both shows and even in Dynasty is the timelessness of it. Yes. That's, that's a real yes. tribute to how well these shows were written. Absolutely. I want to shift over to something that you said, Jesse, when we started this kind of fun exercise, which is finding someone to identify with, finding someone to relate with. Yes. When it comes to age in the LGBTQ community, from my perspective, we seem to still struggle. We struggle with, you know, finding scripts that can incorporate us. We struggle with finding ways to celebrate us outside of the spectrum of talking about HIV AIDS. And we don't really talk about what happens to us when we're no longer going to the clubs and we're no longer partying. And so my, my question, starting with Jesse, but it's actually open to all of you, is do you believe your popularity on TikTok can change that 
Or do you think you're just more of a curiosity and that the culture that has defined particularly gay men in particular as it comes to age worship is still very much in place and something that we need to address much more formally? Um, I still see the struggles as, as African-Americans, even amongst the gay community. Um, it, will, it will always be there. It's just something I know. It's just that when you are popular, uh, all of a sudden you are somebody. I discovered that in college. I went to this college for two weeks. I was nobody. And then I sang and all of a sudden everybody wanted to be a friend of mine. And I told them then, and I would tell anybody now, I was cleaning toilets. I was nobody two weeks ago. So I'm still the same nobody now. Hmm. And so are you to me. Wow. If you, if you walked by me and passed by me and said nothing, uh, I'm more vocal about it than I used to be, believe it or not. But, but I am proud of it. And I am loving getting hugs walking around this town. And, and I get, I'm the social bunny of the four <laughs> of us. And I am constantly crying on the street from a hug, wow. from people saying how much a difference that we're making in their lives. And it, it heals me. It makes me grow. And then these three have stretched me in my things that I do and say. Uh, I'm, I'm a lot more vocal than I used to be. But I still think about everything before it comes out. I think just reading the comments of people and seeing so many people expressing the thought they no longer fear getting old. And I think the gay mm -hmm. culture, because so much of it revolves around physical beauty, Ages. that aging is something that is, has kind of been shunned. But I think there is a realization on the part of younger gay people of what we have done in our generation to help pave the way for the freedoms that they are now living. And I think we, to a certain extent, have kind of become icons of that thought. One thing that I've really noticed too is in the comments and that thing, one of the most popular subjects about us is what we were like when we were young. They want to know what we went through, how we handled everything, because it was a completely different ball game than when I came out in 1960 in a sophomore in high school. And these people want to know about us, want to know about our past and where we've been, because obviously we're still alive, we're successful, and we're having fun. That's the big thing. Yeah. Having fun? Well, most mainstream media is driven by advertising. Advertisers look at eyeballs, and they also know that the biggest market of people who spend money are under the age of 34, 18 to 34. And what I've seen, I think all of us have seen, is that you know our popularity is being driven by 18 to 34-year-olds, and that's generational. I don't expect people of my generation or even the previous generation before, like in their 40s and 50s, 
to get on the bandwagon here. They're just so set in their ways. But, you know, it's all young people who seem to gravitate to us because they want to know. This is so different from when I was growing up because the last thing I wanted to do was grow old. I thought if when I turned 40, I was going to die, you know, and it's, it's over, but it's, it's not. And I think, as I think it was yesterday who, who said earlier that, you know, they now are not afraid of growing old. And I think that's what's really important. It's generational. And I think once, once those attitudes change and they become the driving force, you know, that's where our popularity comes from. Our popularity is on TikTok, and that's that's the market. It's really quite remarkable to me that we have this sort of dichotomy part of our culture in the LGBTQ community, particularly among gay men, because we all know very well the years of dealing with the HIV AIDS epidemic and how many of us did not think we would get a chance to grow old because of it. Yes. And now that it is a chronic disease and no longer the killer that it once was, we're back to fear and growing old. (laughs) (laughs) Just just like the rest. But, you know, the other thing is, is that, you know, what I've noticed in the scripts that are being written for LGBTQ people is it's either this exceptionalism, you know, or breaking through barriers or, you know, saying that, you know, gay people cannot be happy. They've got some something going on, okay? That they can't be happy. But if 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 they start to see, you know, just normal gay people growing old, living their lives just like non-LGBTQ people are, I think that will really open eyes up. Whose idea was it to go to TikTok? It was uh, Ryan's. The, the voice the behind voice. the camera. Yes. And it, it, it just started out literally at around Christmas time a year ago. Yeah. And Bob had a Santa hat and came to the door and said, Merry Christmas, and then did a couple of other things. Then we joined in. And then last October, we just went right through the roof. Have any of you ever broken the internet? No, never, unfortunately. I've had a broken internet, and I've been broke before, too. It's when you drive too much traffic to a particular website. Like, you're, oh. you're overwhelming the internet by your fabulousness. I thought we already place. did that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have uh, five over 5 million followers now on TikTok. And that's extraordinary because a, a year ago at this time, we had nothing, really, you know, and uh, that really is a testament to um, to Ryan's genius, really. Yeah. You know, he has such a handle on what's going on when we're doing one of our shoots and that kind of stuff. We really don't know what we're doing until actually we see the finished see product and we say, oh, that's what it was all about. <laughs> Have any of you ever been dead? I've woken up mornings where I thought I was dead. I mean, like, I'm so dead. Oh, I'm so dead, does that mean tired? I would think that would mean dead tired. It's thinking something's extremely funny. I'm so dead. Oh, Oh, really? Didn't I tell y'all? Didn't I tell you, honey, these young people be bringing this stuff up in y'all? So now now we've started (laughs) to think, okay, do whatever it is. And then come out and go, wow, wow. Yeah, we're we're just as surprised as you are. <laughs>
And the fun part too is that we never know what's going to happen. Never. That that is that is so fun to me. I never well Bob does, and we just have to keep him quiet. Well, I but, don't but, know everything. But, just but, but I like walking in knowing nothing, going sitting here grinning and going, what now? And go, oh. <laughs> Were any of you hesitant? Once the material started to get a little bit more racy in terms of showing your bodies, being naked. Yes, I was. Oh, oh the, yes. when we did the uh, reaction to Little Nas's uh, prison shower scene where we ended up being filmed naked dancing on camp, <laughs> Ryan first brought it up when we were having lunch and some walk-in dining place and uh, we were sitting there and Ryan just said, what do you think about being naked on camp? Just out of the blue. That famous word is no. no. <laughs> uh, Samantha said, yes. <laughs> he did. Of course you did. Nick was all for and And I was like, oh, I could see doing that. I'm just shaking my head going. Hmm. <laughs> but you know what's crazy, of course, is that every single summer, right, there's this huge push by everyone to get these beach bodies, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is our beach body. <laughs> and, and certainly, you know, for us who were going, for those of us who like to do things like the gay cruises or maybe go to PV or something like that, get ready for pride, it's about changing our diets, getting into the gym trying to get it together. Did you go through any of that? Or no. Like, what? <laughs> what? Samantha, uh, Samantha no. says, yes. <laughs> Samantha does it even now. Yeah. He is a very religious body person. I think the first video I saw from you um, probably was the Little Nas X shower video. Oh, you started at the top. And so... <laughs> What do you think of the shower scene? Oh. Oh, I loved it. Except the parts they admitted. Oh, really, Bill? It's very erotic. And it was done very tastefully. Oh. What do you mean doing taste? They're naked. It's all these suggested positions. But it's also a lot of fight poses. Yeah. yeah. Were you paying close attention to their choreography? Yeah. No. Why do you think they're dancing in the prison shower? Because they're dirty. Do you guys want to dance like you're in a prison shower? No. Well, you're in luck because I can teach you the move. Oh, and no. I took it to my husband and I was like, do you think this is something that we could do later in life? And he looked at me and what was those words you guys kept using? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> what did your friends think when they saw that video? <laughs> uh, so far, I think the universal reaction is, really? I can't wait to see it. My friends are always just shocked, especially my church people that I remember going to, I, I sing at a church in Glendale and um, I go in one weekend and they go, this guy goes, Mary guy goes, I saw your videos. And I just went, okay, what do you think? He goes, hilarious. And from then, then this word spread. So I'm more conscious sometimes of things that we do, but I generally will do them sometimes. Uh, my family, when they saw the little Nas video, said, eh. <laughs> <laughs> We've been seeing that. Yeah, we, 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 we've seen this before. <laughs> <laughs>
You are Samantha. Holy cow. Yeah. It takes, it takes a lot to shock me now. So one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk to you was because I turned 50 this year. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very happy that this body has kept me alive through two pandemics okay. and God knows how many bullets being flown around Detroit and et cetera, and et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So I'm very grateful and very, very happy that this body has kept me alive this long. Yeah. But I also wanted some tips. I wanted some cheat sheets. I wanted some life hacks. What are some of the things when you think about your beautiful journey, particularly as you went into middle age and become senior citizens, what are some of the things you wish someone would have told you? Get out of your head. No carbohydrates after 6 p.m. <laughs> That's why we don't hang out. <laughs> what did you mean, Jesse, about get out of your head? Your head can make you old, it can make you young. I come from a family of laughter and from a family who said, don't grow up because when you become a full-fledged adult, you get boring and I've seen it. Uh, so, so keep your youth, keep somebody young in your life, but, but live, get out there and live. Don't become a recluse and just sit inside by yourself because this brain can be your enemy. Yes, it, it yeah. can be such an enemy. I've been through it and I fight it still. I'm, I'm finding my joy. I, I went through cancer and everything and it started a month before COVID. So during that time, I was truly blessed to be here and able to get up at four, get my treatment, get back home and just go outside, look up in the sky and thank God mm. for the blessings of this community that we're in. And it's the first time I've lived on a street where I know the neighbors since I left Tennessee. Wow. This is my therapy, this place. I have always thought myself as young. I've, I've always thought of myself as being 32 years old. In fact, I, I still, I mean, when I go to the store sometime, I said, I said, oh, look at that old person. And I thought, oh my God, <laughs> that's me. But I don't feel old. When I turned 50, I had just divorced my partner of 25 years. And so it didn't start out so well. But I have to say, my 50s were in some ways the greatest decade of my life. It seemed to have been a culmination of, of my time. And, and, you know, during my 50s, I, I moved from Los Angeles to the desert. And I found this wonderful home. Uh, where I have stayed for now nine years. And it's been a, a wonderful journey. And I wouldn't have taken that had I not made the decision to, you know, for my partner and I to uh, divorce. So you have your whole life ahead of you. And you look back at the whole thing and go, to see how you got to where you are. And that boggles the dickens out of my mind. And I just get to laugh and I said, how a little colored boy from Greenville, Tennessee, in Palm Springs, shut the freak up. What I wish someone would have told me is that if you allow it to, life keeps getting better the older you get. But you've got to make that happen. Yes. And the key to making it happen, I think, is to be doing and work what you love to do because that will fuel you and it will make you grow it'll make you smile 
it'll make you beam and relate to the rest of the world in a very positive way. That is really beautiful advice, actually from from all of you. I'm I'm actually getting a little misty eyed because I'm I'm thinking about a friend of mine who was very much like my mentor growing up. His name was Tony. And I didn't know Tony was gay when he was in my life. And it wasn't until I was in college and I got the phone call that he was dying of AIDS that I learned that he was gay. Though I suspected it for a number of years, we never talked about his sexual orientation. Yeah, it's not important. Right. And the reason why I'm getting misty-eyed is because he was supposed to have been the old gay guy for me. He was supposed to have been the one to give me this advice, to to tell me to break up with this person or not to go to that club or I don't need another drink. And there has been so many people who have lost their Tonys to that horrific disease. And Jesse, you you, you just raised your hand. I'm, I'm just curious as to, you know, how much time do you spend reflecting on what you lost as well? And if that's healthy or not. I reflect on the good that came out of it. I had gay parents, Joe and Bob, that both passed away, and they opened my eyes to what they went through, how they couldn't go out in public dressed in drag. They had to wait till they get there and pack everything in because they'd get arrested if they got caught like that. And their wisdom and their just tenderness and lovingness to me, it, it opened my eyes to, oh, two men really can fall in love. Because I hadn't seen it. It was just sex, sex, sex. Mm-hmm. But these guys had been together 47 years when I met them. Wow. And they took me under their wing and they just like loved me. And when I needed the first lover that I had, I invited him to my place, but realized I couldn't because I was staying with family. And they opened their home to us. And I've been lucky all my life to be around just like good people that lift me up and and just teach me by their lives and i and i try to just live talk is cheap it's actions that work and i just try to live what i think of, of my good my bad and my ugly just no bad or ugly of course of course but, but um, just i just try to be honest with young people and people people my age you know so just be you yeah I was in my uh, 40s, or actually late 30s, uh, and moved to San Francisco and was there in the 80s. I have, over the years, lost my entire circle of friends that I had there. And uh, I think there are only two people still alive today that were in my, what we now call bubble of friends. And I do periodically think back when there are little triggers on different people's lives that were close to me. and. I do realize how lucky I am to be alive and to be healthy. And that's something that helps keep me going. Uh, Almost as if I become 
the extension of their lives collectively. And he's such a good extension. (laughs) (laughs) And I I lived in San Francisco um, in the late 60s for 37 years, and I was in San Francisco for the 70s which was like the gay roaring 20s. No one could do any wrong. Everybody had a job. Everyone was working. And fortunately, towards the end of 1979, I met my partner who was going to be my partner for 16 years. And that's the reason I'm negative and still alive, because I would have been dead without that. And in the 80s in San Francisco, it, it was really, a, really a downcast kind of things because I had friends who were dying and wouldn't tell me. I mean, a, a guy that I had an, a guy that I had an affair with, friends of mine saw him at Macy's buying pajamas and put two and two together, and he died without even telling me. It was it was such a hushed up thing that it was really an incredible thing to live through. And I lost 80 percent of my friends. I think for me, the, the one of the motivations for doing for, for, the, for my participation with the old gays is in remembrance of those friends and comrades that I lost. I think I do this in part for them because they're not here. They're not here to do that. I mean, think about it. They died in a time before uh, same-sex marriage was uh, legal or, or gay people, lesbians, transgender, even transgender people now can serve in the military. That did not exist in those days. And so I, I do it in part for them. How much do you worry about our culture, our society, reverting back to some of those earlier days, given the political climate that we're witnessing right now. I mean, if you see Roe v. Wade is vulnerable when it was one settled law, you brought up marriage equality, Mick. Um, Certainly that can't be viewed as safe if Roe v. Wade is something that is under attack. How optimistic are you that the advances that we've been able to make are here to stay? I think we need to be motivated, particularly with the next coming election, to um, to work for the election of people in Congress who support our our uh, our way of life. There's a real crisis going on, and um, we're very much aware that the country is extremely divided. But yet, we must find ways for all of us to find common ground. Yeah, and that. Um, we mustn't listen to people who, for their own purposes, wishes to drive wedges between us through fear, uh, intimidation, and also ignorance. Wise words, very, very wise words. Shifting gears just for a second, um, the four of you are roommates now, correct? In theory. In theory, okay. Yes. But not really. Not really. Bill lives down the hill. Jesse lives across the street. And I, I, I share this house with Bob. 
Who's the messiest? I don't live with them, so I don't know. Probably <laughs> me. But I know you judge, though. Don't even, Dominique Devereaux. I know you look <laughs> and still judge. <laughs> you know, I, I really learned not to do that a lot because I look at myself and what right do I have? <laughs> I, I will go, mm. The eyes say a lot. And people tell me my faith gives stories <laughs> when I don't even realize it's telling a story. I'm, I'm observant and I listen a lot. <laughs> and try to soak stuff in and just to be aware um, and to realize that we are four individuals who live and think differently and we come together here and there's a time to to laugh and do all that stuff to disagree we have our little family moments but the thing is you don't dwell on it uh hate anger just poisons your body and i choose to move forward and look at this beautiful sky that we're under and say all right that was a piss and moment but let's move forward yes and i genuinely love these people yeah <laughs> I, I do i love them each um and they brought me in here and i am honored because they have helped me open eyes about seeing who jesse is too and it's like ooh, okay and uh, this idea of being the only one, Jesse, is something I'm sure you can imagine. I've experienced a lot everywhere out here. Um, it's it's a it's a thing, you know. And you know, sometimes it, some days it bothers me more than others. Yes. Um, what is it like for you at this stage of your life, um, seeing so many queer men of color? We've talked a lot about Little Nas X, but we're kind of everywhere now. Finally. Finally, yeah. what is what is it like seeing just the growth so that we're no longer the only ones in these spaces that we have company? It is so good seeing that. And it's also seeing us play something besides the bad guy. I grew up seeing that and I hated it because I didn't know any of these mean black people that they were showing. But that was the only jobs that they could get. And uh, so it's just nice seeing that that all gays are not feminine too, because that's what the world sees us as. It's like, oh, you're a bunch of queens. I'm a butch, I'm a femme, I'm a every, I'm, I'm every man, it's all in me. Anything you want done, baby, I'll do it naturally. Okay, Shaka. <laughs> and we have more voice now than my parents did. But my mom, one of the things she said before she died, she goes, please be my voice. Hmm. I couldn't do it. And I, I hear that constantly in her gentle, sweet voice. That is such wise words, words I would definitely take to heart. I can't wait to see you guys more. And I know your fans can't wait to see you more. Well, thank you. Thank you. And when I come to Palm Springs, come I hope I get a chance to thank each and every one of you face to face. That would be sweet. That'd be Please wonderful. Do. Give Please. us a week notice. Not a promise. You got to do it. Bring yourself and your husband and join us in the pool. I bring myself, my husband, and a rack of ribs. Ooh. Awesome. Ooh. A Excellent. A <laughs> Multiple racks. Multiple racks. <laughs> Thank you guys so, so much for your time, your wisdom, your humor, but most importantly, just your courage to just be out there and living your best life and encouraging all of us to do the same. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having us. And keep growing and we'll see you with some ribs. I like how you use plural. You use like some ribs. I said ribs. <laughs> <laughs> ribs. <laughs> <laughs>
And have an awesome day. And keep that big smile of yours going because uh, it radiates such wonderful feelings. Thank you. So are you sure you're not the Blanche? <laughs> <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Purina and their certified therapy dogs like Hanley. Say hi, Hanley! <coughs> Hanley is one of 30 therapy dogs Purina has helped get certified to support kids struggling with their mental health. Purina employees are volunteering their time and family pets like Hanley to help make pet therapy more accessible to patients, students, and kids like me. Learn more about Purina's pet therapy program at purina.com slash mental health. Make the most of your me time with sensational hair products from Method. The new range of shampoos and conditioners will leave your hair looking shiny and feeling healthy. From pure peace, infused with peony, rose water, and quinoa protein, to simply nourish, crafted with coconut, rice milk, and shea butter. And daily zen with calming cucumber, seaweed, and green tea. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower with Method and reconnect with the best version of yourself. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist-recommended facial moisturizer brand. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Jesus Ramirez Valles started his career as a community organizer along the U.S.-Mexican border and has spent the past 20 years researching health equity both here and abroad. I've been thinking a lot about our sisters and brothers abroad recently. The LGBTQ plus people in Afghanistan left behind after the U.S. withdrawal. The estimated 250,000 Ukrainians living with HIV who are hoping the medications that they need daily will be available in countries like Poland. My thoughts and prayers are with them all, and I hope their unique needs are not forgotten. That's what Dr. Ramirez Valles has dedicated his life to, making sure the unique needs of our community are not forgotten. And I'm really grateful he joined us here on Life Out Loud to discuss some of them. Hey, Zeus, I'm really happy to speak with you selfishly because I turned 50 this year. And obviously, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, 50 was a long way away. And the way that I saw the world obviously was through the eyes of someone who thought they were invincible and would never age. And now, you know, decades later, here I am, you know, knees cracking, toes cracking. I sneeze and I'm afraid I'm going to throw my back out. Um, (laughs) How did you stumble across this conversation of LGBTQ aging as the focus of your academic research? Was it personal experience, like what I'm going through right now, or was there something else that triggered it? Well, first, congratulations. Happy birthday. All right. Thank you very much. 
you made it. Like my brother will say, he's 70, he's the oldest in the family, and he says, I'm already here. Good luck getting here, you guys, to the younger siblings. <laughs> I love that. I'm, is it okay if I borrow that? Yeah, he's very happy, of course. Um, <laughs> how did I stumble with this? HIV, um, my research on HIV and AIDS in my work uh, took me here because I started doing HIV's work when I came out as a gay person in the border in Mexico, United States. So through all 20 something years, I've been doing research, community activism, organization, community organization around HIV and AIDS in Mexico and then in the United States. And then I got to a point, uh, you know, a decade ago or so, in which I said, so what's next in my research work in terms of HIV? I think my partner, my husband, or my partner by then, uh, my husband now, he said, well, how are the guys aging? What's happening with them? He came with the idea through this idea of aging of older people, not HIV. And I'm like, oh, you're right. What's happening? And so that felt natural to me to follow up on what's happening with people aging with HIV, right? And those two questions, I could not and I cannot disentangle looking at the aging of gay men in particularly and LGBTQ communities in general and HIV. I understand why, but it's so frustrating to hear that be the genesis because I'm at the point now where and I've been covering LGBTQ issues for 20 years myself, and I'm tired of HIV AIDS always being the jumping off point or the center of, or the theme of conversations as it pertains to our community. But you're right, it's impossible to talk about aging without talking about the impact the virus has had on our community and the fact that there's a lack of particularly men who are seniors in our community. Absolutely. I get it. I get it. We're exhausted. I I'll give you an example. Um, uh, recently, I went to my high school reunion, 37, uh, the first one I ever attended in Mexico. So catching up with one of my dear, dear friends back then that I have not seen for 30 years. Uh, he's a famous physician, surgeon. In the conversation, he asked me about HIV in my work. And you know, the way he came up to this is like, did you ever get sick? And it was interesting the way he asked, and I felt what you're talking about, this tiredness of this stigma, right? Like, oh, here we go again. How do I explain this guy what's happening, <laughs> right? Um, right? But at the same time, I, I understand perfectly, but at the same time, we cannot let society in history forget about it. Mm. So we have to talk about it, because if we don't, someone will start to reshape what actually happened. Absolutely. Number one, huge inequities exist. You know, PrEP is widely used, but we know who's not getting access. We know who is still um, not achieving undetectable status in the virus. It is particularly Black and Latinx communities and gay men. So the problem is still exist in front of us, here in the United States and abroad. I still hear from friends and colleagues in Mexico, people dying of HIV and all AIDS and related consequences. So the problem is it's still there, number one. And second, whether you're living with HIV or not, all of us, older gay men, the older category, and into it yourself, excuse me, <laughs> um, <laughs> our lives, whether we like it or not, we're shaped by HIV and AIDS. 
where we stand here, you and I talking to this audience, as if I may, queer people or gay men, we're standing here because of HIV and AIDS, because of the work that many of our friends and colleagues did for us to stand here alive, to get the care that we needed. So it shaped the culture of us. It changed the culture of this country. So yes, it's a disease, it's not a condition that exists, but it's also a social and cultural phenomena. I saw a study that said currently there are about 3 million LGBTQ adults over the age of 50. And by 2030, 10 years, less than 10 years from now, that number is expected to grow to 7 million. 7 million LGBTQ seniors over the age of 50 by 2030. So my question to you is, outside of the HIV AIDS conversation and who has access to you know, medications and to PrEP, what are some of the other issues that worries you when you hear that our population is supposed to basically double in terms of LGBTQ adults over the age of 50 in less than 10 years. And that's great, right? And it will be greater. It's, it's going to be a bigger or larger number of people, at least in the Western world, um, aging as queer folks, because all we see is people moving forward, right? With labels of not being binary and being queer and so forth and so on. So the numbers will will continue growing. The big problem that we face is the larger society is not prepared for this, right? And we have to do a lot of work in transforming the way we age because our society, our structures are not prepared for it. Number one is loneliness, right? Loneliness is a big problem in the Western society for older folks. For queer people, it's even bigger problems because the way we socialize as young people are not the same as we, the ones that we use to socialize in older age. On top of that is ageism. Ageism is not getting away. Western societies hate old bodies. We don't like to see them. We hide them. We think of them as unproductive, either physically or intellectually and sexually unattractive. And that's a big barrier for us to keep ourselves as meaningful and important members of any community. So queer folks, we have learned a lot on how to deal with the stigma, with the social exclusion processes that society has, has um, put on us from early age. So we know how to create, quote unquote, families of choice, our own communities. So we must be creative and, and, and continue fighting for building new ways of getting old that do not replicate the heteronormative processes and communities that exist right now. They call us to retire in communities isolated from the rest of the world. You want to go to Florida? Good luck. You want to go to Texas? Good luck. You want to go to Arizona? If you can afford it, good luck. Most people that age in um, the age that can reach the age of 17, 80, cannot age in place, do not have the financial means to do it. Let alone if you grew up, let me just give you an example, as an older Latino immigrant in this country. You pretty live in, you have lived probably in poverty, live in poverty all your life. And so the social security or whatever benefits that you can reach or get at older age are not gonna be sufficient for you to live in place, to age in place, and to live independently and healthy life. 
So um, it's going to be very, very difficult. The racial divide, and the, which comes together with the social class divide, is going to make a big difference in the way queer communities age. 34% of LGBTQ older adults worry about having to go back in the closet in order to live in senior assisted living. That's nearly a third of us. What can the industry do so that that third doesn't have to be confronted with either experiencing some homelessness or having to horrifically go back in the closet just to have care? It is so true. Uh, when I started doing this work in Chicago, um, a task force that I was a member of, uh, one of the things that we did, we developed um, these policies to kind of rank, if you will, um, assisted living facilities um, in terms of their cultural competency for LGBTQ uh, people or community members. So there are already uh, standards being developed for assisted living facilities and related institutions to the things that they have to do and change to be inclusive of everybody, right? So there is some uh -huh. progress and there are some things that, that we need to make. Uh, we need to keep training our uh, healthcare providers. These policies can be implemented at the local and the state and the federal level. The federal level will be impossible, but we can do it little by little so that we can ensure that whatever institution from a hospital, a clinic to assist the living facility or retirement community adheres to these LGBTQ inclusive policies and culture. The bigger problem that we face, and COVID was an example, unfortunately, of this, there are institutions and institutions are becoming very expensive and institutionalizing people is inhumane. Hmm. Why do we keep sending our parents, our good parents to nursing homes to assist the living facilities? We need to push for the dissolution of those or reduce them to a minimum to allow people, us, to age in place with the communities, with the people that we want. What are some of the policies that you want to see enacted? Like when I think about the conversation of policies, one of the first things that pop in my head is that understanding the employment discrimination that a lot of LGBTQ people face, particularly people who are trans, is that our abilities to contribute to Social Security makes it more difficult for us to have Social Security when we're ready to retire, if we can retire. Like That's one of the things I think about in terms of policies as, as it pertains to aging LGBTQ people. Um, what are some of the other things that you see that you've researched and recognized that are potential, you know, barriers or potholes for us to have to navigate. Correct. So that the, the one that you mentioned is is priority, right? Income. We need to ensure that older people that have no means have a basic income to live. The other one is stigma discrimination. We need to make ensure that people like transgender folks, when they get to an assisted living facility or a clinic at an older age, are not discriminated. Um, so those policies, we have made some progress, but there needs to be a broader enforcement um, at the local and the federal level. Income, you know, income inequality is, is so important. I think we need to... Um, I mean, I'm speaking of my wish list and my big dreams, right, is uh, the Older Americans Act, 
we need to see and revise that. We're making some progress and in including aging with HIV within the category of Older Americans Act so that the services that are provided under that act include people with HIV. Again, it's a state by state, local, locality by locality that we need to, in, to make sure that the policies that are in place are inclusive. The bigger, bigger policy in my wish list is that we move resources, we change our allocation of resources from institutions to communities so that people are taking care in their communities for their age. How do we maintain that? Not to cut you off, but like you said the word community multiple times, and I agree with you 1000%. And I lived in Chicago just like you did. Boys Town, as it used to be called, used to be the community, but it's been gentrified. And there are a lot of heterosexual families. And because of that, um, that sense of LGBTQ community has dissipated some. And we know that the same has been true in neighborhood pockets in Manhattan. Chelsea is no longer the Chelsea that people once remembered. Hell's Kitchen is no longer becoming the Hell's Kitchen that people once remembered. The same thing is with West Hollywood. So my question to you is, how do you build community when gentrification is constantly threatening to break that community apart? Excellent point. And, and I cannot concur more with you as San Francisco and California is yet another example, right? Where these metropolis and these uh, neighborhoods are becoming rich neighborhoods that we cannot afford if we're even as middle class to live in. For example, in Chicago, you mentioned a very, very good example, you know, how communities have moved to uptown, right? And Andersonville right. because of the, the gentrification processes. So that's the big challenge that we have. If we do not protect the spaces that we live in and we continue allowing, you know, these developers to come in. And Chicago is a good example of, you know, the corruption that exists in the gentrification processes. We need to keep fighting those gentrification processes. Many cities do it in different ways, you know. San Francisco has um, an opposite issue in which they're too restricted, in which once you get into one neighborhood, it's so difficult to change. It's so difficult to add a building into a neighborhood. So there are extremes. There are ways in which local communities can start protecting uh, those places. Excellent point is still the gentrification exists and um, the, the destruction of those communities exists. We need to keep fighting and creating these communities, finding the ways to do it. It doesn't mean what I mean by communities, only LGBTQ communities, because I'm pretty aware that as we age, the meaning of community and who is in our community varies tremendously. Right? For some people, for some of us, being within a queer community is important, for other people, being within ethnic enclaves is more important, um, and so forth and so on. So that's what I mean by that. So if we think about um, aging in place, regardless of your gender and sexual orientation, then it naturally it will take us to this question of how can we make a given community a safe place, a good place for people that live here, that want to stay here to age. Last question for you. 10 years from now, when the population of LGBTQ people is north of 7 million, and again, it's about 3 million now, what do you think that means in terms of political power? And how can we as a community as a whole begin laying down the groundwork to enact that political power? Um, you know, I'm very worried about the future of this country. 
I'm very, very worried. I'm, I'm vice chair of Planned Parenthood here in Northern California. So in some ways, I'm very close to what's happening here in this country. And it's horrendous. Just thinking about what the Supreme Court is going to do next year. So mm -hmm. the broader spectrum of the United States is very dark. I'm sorry to be very pessimistic. We, we have gotten in a very difficult path. Now, what we queer people need to do, we have a lot of homework to do. Because, number one, racism. Racism is pervasive in our communities, as you are aware of. And it keeps, you know, being bigger, bigger, and bigger. Social media for us, for queer people, in some ways is helping us connect, but in other ways to disconnect. Because if you use Grindr or Scruff or any other social media, we're being judged by our looks. And, and that creates a bigger, larger divide because it comes a, about ageism, about weight discrimination, about racism, and so forth and so on. So we have a lot of homework to do, yet we have a lot of power and we can do. One of the, what we can start doing is thinking about generativity. Um, the term that was coined here in the United States uh, in the 1950s, the idea of creating the future for us. How are we as a queer people are going to be passing our history, our sense of community, our belongings, if you will, to the next passengers? Mm. How are we going to make sure that what happened in the 1920s in the United States, in the 1930s, what happened in the 60s, what happened in the AIDS epidemic, what happened with gay marriage, is not forgotten and is to learn. So that the younger generations that are coming out of age as non-binary or whatever, they, whatever terminology or cultural phenomena they want to create, do not forget what happened and learn from us as you and I have learned from our ancestors. That's a big challenge that we as a queer people have. Heterosexual families or traditional families do not have the problem of generativity. The system is created for them. They reproduce. We don't. We don't have those means. We have to continue fighting and continue doing this memoir, if you will, generativity work to keep the community alive like Jewish people, if you will, keep this history, our origins, what brought us together alive, because that's the thing that's going to give us the power to fight what is coming in front of us. Jesus Ramirez Valles, thank you so, so much for your wisdom, for your research, for your advocacy work. Um, listeners, if you haven't had an opportunity to pick up his book, Queer Aging, The Gaby Boomers and the New Frontier, <laughs> please do. There's so much for us to be thinking about, and I too worry about the future of this country, but I also know that we have people like you fighting to ensure that it's a good future for us all. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I sincerely appreciate this opportunity, and thank you for doing this work. Keep doing it. Just a second, before we close the show, LZ, did you think that your team was really going to let your birthday go uncelebrated here on Life Out Loud? No. We just had to drop into this episode to tell you that we love you and to wish you the biggest, the happiest, and the best birthday of your life. 
Hey, Queen. Hey, LZ. Happy birthday, LZ. Happy birthday, LZ. Happy birthday. Happy 50th birthday, LZ. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, old gay. Just wishing you a happy, happy, happy 50th birthday. I know you make every day a party, but I hope today you do it really big and make it a day to remember. I could only wish to live a life as full as you have. One of the most thoughtful and fun and supportive journalists I know. The most glamorous, the most fun. And you always make us laugh. You graciously let me dress you up in rainbow flags and rainbow fans for our Life Out Loud photo shoot. That's when I knew you're a real one. The big five oh yeah. Thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your humor. You lead with your heart always. Somebody to really look up to. And we wish you love, prosperity, health, wealth, all the good stuff. Because you deserve the very best. Love you, LZ. Happy birthday, LZ. Happy birthday, Happy birthday, Happy birthday LZ. <laughs> On the next episode of Life Out Loud. Arizona Representative Daniel Hernandez Jr. tells us about the day he helped save Congresswoman Gabby Gifford's life. The memories that are going to be, I think, seared in my brain for the rest of my life. And about finding some time for self-care in the relentless, fast-paced life of public service. In the middle of a legislative session that's been really tough for the LGBTQ community, I have too many fights to not be there. Then, girl. Yeah, yeah, you can't tell me nothing. We'll dig in deep with RuPaul Drag Race star Cornbread about pushing through. Being queer, black, and plus size, I got three different things going against me in quote unquote society's mindset. We're gonna talk about what it takes to fully claim yourself and to be comfortable in your own skin. That's next week on Life Out Loud. Hey, thanks so much for listening. And remember to hit subscribe if you haven't already. And please, please, please tell your friends, your family, your loved ones, your side pieces, your main pieces, anyone who you think could benefit from listening to these incredible stories from these remarkable people. And also, just take a moment to leave us a rating and review. That goes a long way to helping us get the word out. And more importantly, keep going. Life Out Loud with LZ Granderson, the production of ABC Audio, produced by my friend Trevor Hastings. Senior producer is Brenda Salinas Baker. Our amazing production team includes David Toledo, Vika Erickson, and Carrie Ann Thomas. The executive producer of Life Out Loud is Liz Alessi. A big shout out to Lakia Brown, Joe Moore, Robert Zapata, Tony Morrison, Josh Cohan, Elizabeth Russo, Ariel Chester, and Stacia Tashisku. I'm LZ Granderson. This, this is that, that good, good. good.